Well, good morning again. So good to see you all here this morning. Uh, before I left on sabbatical, we uh, had been involved in a series that we we're calling the Kingdom Experiment. I don't know how many of you can remember that far back. This was way back in June. Uh, and we're going to jump back into that this morning. But for those of you who can remember, what we were doing is we were just taking some time to kind of slowly and methodically work our way through what has been referred to as the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. And uh, of course, the greatest preacher is Jesus. And the greatest sermon that he ever preached is referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, when we left off a couple of months ago, the last time that we were in this, uh, this uh, particular sermon, Jesus was talking about the importance of fasting. And uh, in fact, before I left on sabbatical, I kind of left us with this challenge. I don't know how many of you remember that, but I, I challenged us to pray and to fast in some way over seven things. And I know that many of you joined Laura and I in, in praying and fasting over these seven focus areas. And uh, I, I also am aware that there's a number of you who may not even have been around during that time. And so, um, and, and there are others of you who may just need to be reminded of them. And so uh, I just want to remind you of what they were. The, the first one that we're praying and fasting for is we're praying for a spiritual awakening is that we're praying for people who haven't encountered Jesus to encounter Jesus, to be awakened spiritually. To, we're, we're praying for friends and family and for people in our community and people around the world just to, to come to have an awakening, to just have this awareness for their need of Jesus. We need a spiritual awakening. We're praying, uh, secondly, for the people of Connecting Point, people who are connected to us here to grow stronger in the Lord. Our desire is that wherever you're at spiritually on your walk, and we're all over the board, there are some of us who are just on the front end and just kind of exploring faith and trying to figure out what this whole uh, Christianity thing is, quite frankly, wondering if Jesus is real and if faith is real and, and all of those things are real, which is awesome. And there are those who have been following Jesus for a number of years. Wherever you're at, we want you to grow stronger. We want you to go further. And so that's our goal. We want to grow stronger in the Lord. The third thing that we're praying for and fasting for is we want there to be a growth in our worship and prayer meetings. And, and I haven't been uh, quiet about this or shy about this, but uh, I'm just convinced that the most important things that we can do are worship and pray is to just magnify God, to love on God and let him love on us and just, uh, just declare who he is and just worship him and, and to pray, to spend time asking him, uh, submitting requests to him, but also listening to him and allowing him to share his heart with us and then to uh, commission us and deploy us into the world. And so I, I have this crazy vision and I'm holding on to it, not going to let go of it, that our times of worship and prayer will eventually be as well attended as our Sunday morning gatherings. And I'm just believing and holding on that that's going to be the case. Because when that happens, and when we're committed to that, I believe is when we're really going to be able to see some things happen in our city. And we're going to see some of the other things that we're hoping for and praying for happen. And so we're praying for that. Uh, and then, of course, we're, we're praying for our future church home. Some of you may not even be aware of this, but last year we actually sold this property that we're meeting in right now. And uh, we have until February of 2025 to continue to meet here, but we're praying for what the future might hold for us, where God might release us and send us, and so we're praying for the future and what our future church home might look like. 
And then the fifth thing that we're praying and fasting for is for the Destinations Coffee House Ministry. And, and uh, many of you may not be familiar with what that is, but down in the North Bottoms for the last 13 years, there's been a, a coffee house down there that has ministered specifically, uh, and not exclusively, but has uh, been a ministry for college students. It's right there north of the stadium on the university campus there. And, and uh, recently that's closed, and there's been the opportunity for, for us to uh, possibly acquire that building. And so we've been praying about, is that a direction that the Lord would lead us? And the staff and the leadership team have been talking and praying about that, and we're continuing to do that. And we want to invite you, please be praying. What might that look like and what, God, what might God have us do in that? Currently, we're utilizing the building for some ministries, and we're going to continue to do that. And so let's, let's be praying and fasting about what God might have us do there. And then the sixth thing is, uh, you know, I've had this vision for probably about four years for uh, transitional and sober living housing, that we recognize that in our community there is more of a demand than there is um, the supply, that there's more folks who need a place where there's some support, who need transitional housing, who are either being released from incarceration or who need some support, who are seeking sobriety. And man, if th this is a place where the church needs to step in. And so we're praying about what and how that might look like and when. And so we're inviting you to pray about that. And then the last thing is we're praying about the finances to do all of the stuff one through six because it's going to cost money to do that. And so uh, I want to encourage you, let's not stop. We, we said, let's, let's pray. We kind of took and each of those. We had a focus for seven weeks, and we focused on each of those one at a time for seven weeks. But let's not stop uh, after the seven weeks has expired. We're going to kind of adopt uh, the push prayer approach on this. I don't know, some of you may have heard about this before, but uh, push prayer is just kind of pray until something happens, right? We're just going to push through. We're going to pray until something happens. And so that's what we're inviting you to do. And we want to continue to pray over those things. And we believe that God is going to move. All right. All right. What I want to do today is uh, we're going to look at math, uh, Matthew chapter uh, 6, um, verses 19 through 24. And Samantha, I walked up here and left my Bible down there, would you? Thank you very much. Um, which really deals with uh, number 7 on this list. Uh, Jesus addresses the issue of wealth. Next week, we're going to talk about worry, uh, which, by the way, those two things are connected to each other, wealth and worry, treasure and trust, those two things. We spend a lot of time uh, on those two areas. They're tied to each other, which is why Jesus addressed them back to back. But this week, we're going to focus on wealth, our material possessions and money. And next week, we're going to talk about worry and anxiety and it's going to be awesome. And for those who can kind of grab a hold of what we're going to be talking about, it's going to be freeing. And so I'm really looking forward to what God is going to do through this. But we've got a lot to cover this morning. Jesus has a lot to say. And so I want to jump right in. And so if you've got your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading with verse 19. I'm reading from the NIV version. Uh, and here's what it says. It'll also be up on the screen. But Jesus says this. He says, 
Do not store up. Some of your uh, versions may say lay up, but it says do not store up in mind for yourself treasures on earth where moths and vermin, some translations may say rust, where moths and vermin or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye, of the, of the eye is the lamp of the body, Jesus says. If your eyes are healthy, the whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are, are uh, unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. So Jesus is like, okay, really, when it boils down, you've only got two options here. You can either take everything that I've given to you, and we know that everything that we have is given to us by God. There's nothing that we have that has not been given to us. He's given us the ability to earn. He's given us the wisdom, the intellect, the strength. Everything that we have is because of him. And so he says, you can take, uh, and, and everything that I've given to you, you can either store it up for you, or you can invest it in my kingdom. And he says, whichever of these two options that you choose, ultimately, your choice is going to reveal three things. First of all, it's going to reveal what your priorities are. The truth is... If you want to know what's most important to a person, all you have to do is just watch what they do with their money. We're going to talk more about that here in a little bit. The the second thing it will reveal is it will reveal what our view of eternity is. What we do with our treasure reveals, are we simply living primarily for the here and now, the 60, 70, 80 years that we may have on this planet, Or do we have an understanding that we were built for eternity? Where we invest our treasure will reveal that. The the third thing it will reveal is who or what is our master. Who or what is the driving force that controls and influences the decisions that we make in life. And so what Jesus says here, it's pretty straightforward. He's he's presenting an argument for why it's important not to invest all of our treasure here on earth, but we also need to invest in heaven. Now, before we begin to work our way through this, and I want to just kind of do that, there's really three sections of this, is I want to first touch on something that I think is really important. The, The Bible has a lot to say about money. In fact... There is more said about money in the Bible and how followers of Jesus are to deal and handle, deal with and handle money than almost any other topic in Scripture. And the reason why is because God knows the deep connection that there is between us and money. 
and money in us. And for the sake of time, I'm only going to touch on a, a couple of, of things. But, but first of all, what I want us to understand, and this is really important, is that the Bible is not against us having money. It's not. Nowhere in the Bible does it teach that you shouldn't have possessions or property or resources or things. Those things in themselves are not bad or evil. The truth is that money in, in itself is amoral. It's, it's neither good nor evil. And so God's not against us having it. In fact, if you read through Scripture, what you'll find is you'll find all kinds of examples where God actually gives certain individuals incredible wealth. A good example of this is right out of the chute. In Genesis, it says that God created all things, and then the first thing that he does after he creates Adam is he gives everything that he created to Adam for his pleasure. Another great example of this is Abraham. God takes Abraham, and he blesses Abraham, and he gives Abraham great wealth. Solomon is another great example of this. And, and we could go through other examples in Scripture. But, but God is not against us possessing money or things. What he's against is money and things possessing us. That's what he's against. And not only that, he understands that there is, there's just something about money that tries to anchor us here. It, 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 tends to, it tends to try and convince us that, that this place is where I'm meant to be happy. That, that this is where I can be content. That, that this is where home is. And all throughout Scripture, we're reminded, no, 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 no. This is not permanent. It's temporary. This is what Jesus is addressing in this part of the sermon. In fact, he actually gives us three principles in regards to money that really make an argument as to why, as his followers, our priority when it comes to our wealth should be investing in his kingdom. And what I want to do real quick is I want to just go through them individually. The first statement that Jesus makes is, it begins in verse 19. I want to go back and look at what Jesus says. He says, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth. Again, another version may say lay up for yourself. If you look at the original Greek, what it means is, what it's trying to say is, don't treasure your treasures. That's what Jesus is saying here. Don't, don't lay up for yourself, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust or moth and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth or vermin destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The point that Jesus is making here is that nothing you accumulate in this life will you be able to take with you into eternity? There, there's nothing that you accumulate in this life that you'll be able to take with you 
when you die. Whatever it is that you invest your treasure in here, stocks, bonds, CDs, cryptocurrency, what, 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 what's the meta real estate? Is that the new thing? Gold, whatever it is, none of it is going to go with you when you go. And so you ask, Doug, are you trying to tell me that Jesus is against us investing or saving? Absolutely not. In fact, if you read Scripture in its entirety, you'll find places like in Proverbs where it talks about that the ant is wise because it stores up enough for winter. And so Jesus and the Bible aren't against a proper, wise, prudent savings. However, without a doubt, they are against the selfish accumulation of stuff. Jesus tells a story about this. It's, it's called the parable of the rich fool. We're not going to take time to go there and read it this morning. But he, he tells about this guy who he, he, he's got this appetite. That's just like this insatiable appetite for more. I mean, he, he's already got his barns are already full of stuff. But that's not good enough for him. And so one day he's standing there and he's looking at his barns already full. And he says to himself, you know what I need to do is I need to build bigger barns for me. So I can put more in my barns for me. And Jesus tells this story and he says about this man, he says, and this man is a fool. Which in Jesus' day, man, that was a big deal to call somebody a fool. He calls this man foolish. He says this is foolish thinking. And the reason Jesus says that this is foolish is because the truth is most of the stuff that we spend so much time and energy and resources accumulating, all the stuff that, that we invest so much of our treasure in, Eventually, what happens to it? Wears out? It, it, we lose it? Somebody else takes it? We get bored with it? There's a new model of it that comes out, and we don't want the old one anymore because we got to have the new one? We don't care about it anymore? It winds up um, in a box or on a shelf or in a landfill somewhere? And so Jesus says, when it comes to your treasure, you have a choice. You, you can either spend it or you can invest it. You can spend it on, on things that aren't going to last or you can invest it on things that will last for eternity. Now, I probably should have said this before, so I'm going to back up for a second, but I, I know the moment... That, that we start talking about money and wealth, I know immediately what happens. In fact, there's one of three things that happens. Is, uh, number one, and there's, there's a very small group who this happens to, but, but number one, there's a, a small group who, man, you've already got this. You already understand this. You're already living this out. And you, you, you already are at this place where God not only has you, he has your bank account. And you, you understand not only the importance of, but you understand the power and the joy 
of, of living in this place, the beauty and the honor of just of, of honoring God with your finances. And so in your minds, you're like, yes, yes, amen, yes, this is so good. A few of you. There's, there's another small group, and this, again, this was a small group, but the moment money came up, immediately you checked out. Your mind just went like, ah, like that. And there was this voice that popped in your head that said, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. That's all they talk about in the church. That's all they care about. All they want is my money. Listen, if that's you, I encourage you, stick around. Man, what you're going to discover is very rarely, and those of you who are like connecting point is your home, you can verify this. I don't talk about money very often. In fact, if, if my leadership team criticizes me for anything, they tell me, Doug, you need to talk about finances more, you need to talk about giving more, and you need to be stronger in it. And so stick around. You're going to find out a couple times a year I may talk about this. But, but, but that's a small group, I know, but th there's a third group, and this is the largest group of all, that, that there's a voice that pops into your head as well that says, yes, this is important. I hope those rich people are listening. <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so let, me, let me just address that. If that's you, I, I, want, I want you to realize this, that if you as a family unit make $30,000 or, or more as a family, combined income, then you are in the top 1% of wealth in the world. As a family, $30,000. In other words, if you sleep inside. And if you're not thinking right now about, I have no idea what I'm going to do for lunch today. I've got to figure out what I'm going to eat, how I'm going to feed my children. Then, then compared to the vast majority of the world, by definition, you are rich. Secondly, I want you to understand this, that the people that Jesus was preaching this sermon to, for them, if you had a second set of clothes, you were considered rich. Okay? So, so I know we all have the tendency when we talk about wealth and riches and finances and all that kind of stuff is we all tend to think about the guy in the tax bracket above us as the rich guy. But I'm telling you, whenever Jesus addresses or the Bible talks about wealth, who he's talking to is us. He's talking to you and me. And it would be wise for us to pay attention to what Jesus is trying to teach us about how to manage our wealth and what our relationship to it should be. So the Bible is not against money. It's against loving money. And, and, and the truth is that you don't have to have a lot of money to love money. That there are people with very little money who love money. And there are people with a lot of money who don't love money. And what the Bible is against is against loving money, which leads us to principle number one. It's found in verse 21, and Jesus makes this very profound statement. He says that where your treasure is, that that's where your heart will be. 
This is the principle that he's trying to teach us. It's that wherever your money goes, your heart flows. Wherever your money goes, your heart flows. Jesus is really clear on this reality that as human beings, we are naturally wired to be emotionally connected to our money. Now, now most of us would like to think that's not true of me. It's true of other people. It's not true of, of me. Then, then, if, then why is it that there's such an emotional reaction in us whenever we lose some money? And whenever we get more money, if that's not true. I'll illustrate this. I'm going to pick on my mom and dad a little bit because I've got the microphone and I can. And this is payback for all of the years that my dad was a pastor and told stories on us kids. And so teenagers, all the embarrassing stories that your parents tell on you now, there will come a day. You will get them back. But, you know, everybody's got family stories that you love to tell, and they come up over and over again. One of my favorites in our family is um, a story about my mom and dad when they were young. They uh, didn't have a lot of money. My dad was pastoring a small church in Nebraska, and, and they didn't get a lot of opportunities to go away on vacation. But uh, one year, they had scrimped, and they had saved, and they had gathered enough money to, to sneak away for a few days to, to go up into uh, Estes Park for vacation for a few days. And I think they went with uh, my aunt and uncle. Did they go with? Yeah, my aunt and uncle, uh, Skip and Doris, went with them. And they got in a, a nice little cabin they went and they checked into the cabin, and then they, they went out on that first day like most people do. When you're in the mountains, you got to explore, right? And so they went, and they were kind of hiking down this trail, and they came to this place where there was a, a, a river that was kind of flowing through, and there were these rocks that were scattered throughout the river. And, uh, and my dad decided, you know, he, this, he was in his 20s, and so he was young and athletic, and he decided, you know, he's going to jump these rocks and go across the river. And uh, so before he went to jump, my, my mom, uh, and some of you husbands will understand this, uh, my mom said, do you think, well, she, she said, my, my darling husband, love of my life, <laughs> I should preface this, some of the dialogue that's about to take place may or may not have happened. This is, this is what we call in the storytelling business uh, creative liberty. <laughs> my, my darling husband, love of my life, do you, do you think that it's a wise idea for you to do that? Some of your husbands understand you've had that conversation. He looked at her and he said, my beautiful flower, <laughs> my greatest possession, I'll be fine. And, and so he had all of their money in his wallet, and she said, well, my strong, incredible hunk of a man, do you think maybe I should hold your wallet? And he said, my, my gorgeous flower, it's fine, I've got it right here in my shirt pocket. You guys see where this is going, right? And so he goes and takes this leap, and as he does, the wallet flies out of his pocket into the river, and they watch the wallet, their money, and their vacation float away. 
And you can imagine in that moment what their emotions do. Husbands, you been there? They have to go back to the hotel and tell them what had happened. And, and the way that my mother tells, well, they tell the story a little bit different, but the way my father tells the story, it was a long trip back to Nebraska. I probably shouldn't have told this story because every time, it's been 50 years, and every time I tell the story, yep, she gets that look on her face even now. <laughs> now, now listen, the, the, the reason that I chose them is, and this is, this is sincere, is because my mom and dad are the most godly people that I know. And if they can be impacted and money impacts them emotionally, then come on. None of us are immune, right? I mean, I, mean, I remember one time, see, I tell negative stories on them and positive on me. But um, I remember one time I was at Mid-America, I was in college. And uh, we, we, back then um, at the, the, the K, Royal Stadium, they used to have right field was general admission, and you could get in for five bucks. Five dollars general admission, sit anywhere in right field, and one dollar hot dogs, one dollar uh, Cokes. And so for like seven bucks, man, you had an evening. That was a great Saturday evening. And so uh, we used to go there um, on weekends, and I remember one time a bunch of us guys went, and we went to the game, and we walked out, and we were walking out in the parking lot. I looked down, and I saw something laying there. I picked it up. And it was a $20 bill. And I was like, I mean, you thought, I, was a, I was a poor college kid. I just spent my last seven bucks. And I was like, I got two more games, two more weekends that I can, you know. I mean, it was the greatest thing that would ha had happened to me. And none of us are immune to that. And if you think you are, man, for those of you who have invested in the stock market, man, when the stock market goes up, we watch you. We know it's gone up. And when it goes down, we see you. We know it's gone down. In, in 2008, I was reading an article this past week. In 2008, when the stock market crashed, they, there was a study on suicide that was done. When the stock market dropped, the suicide weight rate went. Coincidence? No. They, they, we're, we're, impact, we're impacted by that. It, it, it impacts us emotionally. Here's another interesting thing. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, things like, I wish, I wish I had more of a heart for something. Like, you know, I wish I had more of a heart for the poor. I wish I had more of a heart for the lost. Can I, can I just tell you there's a simple answer for that? There's a simple solution. The, the solution for that is start giving towards whatever you wish you had a heart towards. I, if I, I wish I had a heart for missions. Start giving to missions. Once you start giving to missions, your heart will eventually follow. I, I wish I had a heart for, for the church. I wish I had a heart for the lost. Start giving to the church. Eventually, your heart will follow. But, but here's the deal. There's another side to that. And I'm just going to be really blunt here because Jesus is really blunt. I don't know how, how anyone can say that Jesus has 
my heart that I'm, I'm totally in love with Jesus if I never support the mission of Jesus. I don't know how, how else to say this, but if, if none of your finances flow into the things that are near and dear to the heart of Jesus, then there is a disconnect somewhere between your heart and his heart. At some point in time, we have to ask ourselves, what has our heart more? The, 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 the mission of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, or the culture that we live in. The, the mission of Jesus is all about seeking and saving the lost. It's about reaching out to those who, who are hurting and who are broken and investing in their lives. It's about, it's about setting people free from bondage and addiction. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about investing in and building the kingdom of God. This culture, it's not about building his kingdom. This culture is all about building my kingdom. It's about, I've got to make sure that I secure my future. It's about bettering my position. It's about, it's about, it's really governed by two primary ideas, consumerism and materialism. I mean, this is what has been indoctrinated into us. Materialism is the false belief that stuff is what leads to happiness. That, that the more stuff that I have in my hands, the happier I'll be in my heart, which is a lie. And the way that we know that it's a lie is because we live in a day and an age where we have more stuff than we've ever had in the history of the world, and yet we're not any more happy. We have so much stuff. Like, it's unbelievable. I read an article this past week in the Wall Street Journal where they conducted a survey in Los Angeles and they found that 75% of people with two-car garages didn't have enough room in their garages to park their cars in them. Some of us, right? We, we don't have enough room to park both of our cars in our two-car garages because we got so much stuff that has flowed out of our house. Now it's in our garage. We, we, we store it there now because we, we've, we've run out of storage in our house. And speaking of storage, I read this. In the U.S., there are now more storage centers. Now, I'm not talking about store, individual storage units. I'm talking about storage complexes. There are more storage complexes than there are McDonald's and Starbucks combined. And to make it worse, and I'm not... I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty, but the average storage unit is pretty much the average home in a third world country. Same size, same material. Consumerism is closely related to materialism. It's the belief that, that if I have access to it, then it's mine to consume. In other words, whatever comes to me is for me. 
Even though that here in the United States, we're only, we, we only represent 5% of the world's population, the reality is we consume more food, more energy, more natural resources than almost any other nation on the planet. In fact, I read this, is that we actually throw away more calories in food in a day than many other countries are able to consume. Laura and I were watching a documentary a couple of months ago, and I didn't even realize this. One of the things that we export, and, and listen, I'm not, I'm not anti-American. I are one, and I love our country. I, I think we have to evaluate ourselves once in a while, though. Not just as a country, but especially as Christians. See, this is what Jesus is challenging us on, is he's saying, you're a part of a different kingdom. You, you, you don't adhere to everything that the rest of the culture adheres to. I've called you into something more, something deeper. And, and Laura and I, man, we've, in the last couple of days, and we've been, since I've been working on some of this, it's caused me to, to stop again and say, we need to talk about some things, <laughs> We, we need to evaluate some of the choices that we make. And I think we need to do that once in a while. But, but we were watching a documentary a while ago. And one of the things, that, did you realize that we export our trash? We send our trash to third world countries. We're 5% of the world's population. And we produce 40% of the world's garbage. And we send it to them. It's this idea, it's consumerism and materialism. And Jesus is addressing this. He says, you can live like that. You can live like the rest of the culture. You can be driven by that. Or you can invest in what I've given to you, in in something that won't wind up in a garbage heap. Billy Graham was obviously one of the greatest preachers of our generation, and God used him to lead thousands of people to Christ. And he died a few years ago, and the week after he died, there was this cartoon that showed up in the paper. And this cartoon, it depicted Billy Graham showing up at the gates of heaven, and there was this angel there that was welcoming Billy Graham into heaven. He says, he says, welcome, Billy. And then the angel points behind the gates of heaven, and, and, and the angel says, there's a whole lot of people who have been waiting to say thank you. And in the cartoon, you look at the back of the cartoon, and you see this line of thousands and thousands and thousands of people who are lined up to say thank you. What an incredible thought. Have you ever ever thought about who might be waiting to meet you in heaven? Who who might be there to say thank you? The the reason that I'm here, the reason that I have eternal life is because of the investment that you made in the kingdom. The investment of your prayers, the investment of your time, the investment of your treasure. You see, I just can't help but think that someday somebody is going to walk up to some of you and say, hey, I just wanted to say thank you because you made the intentional decision to give to faith promise. 
And because of your gift, I heard about Jesus. Because you supported the ministry of Connecting Point, I came and I encountered Jesus and I received healing and I was set free. I'm just convinced that someday you and I are going to meet somebody in heaven who's going to say thank you. I want you to know I was a prostitute in the red light district in the Philippines. And my life was hopeless. But because you took some of your treasure and you invested in the ministry of the Manes, I heard about Jesus. And it transformed not only my life, but the life of my family. And we're here because of the investment that you made. See, I'm convinced that there are going to be people from Rwanda who walk up and say thank you. I I know that, that we were nameless, faceless people all across the globe, clear across the globe to you. But because you folks, all the way over in Nebraska, supported the ministry of Simon and Carita Pierre's, I was hungry and I needed some food and I I came to get rice and not only did I get fed, I encountered the living Jesus. And I'm here because of that. Man, Man, I'm telling you what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, listen, I'm giving you a choice. You can invest your hard-earned treasure in, in, in this, this, this that will last for eternity. Or you can invest it in temporal things where the return is going to wind up in a garbage heap. Jesus goes on, and, and he, he enters this kind of strange little section. He talks about our eyes. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. He says, if your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? There's another translation. Instead of healthy or unhealthy, yours might might say you have good eyes or bad eyes. The point that Jesus is getting at is he's getting at what is it that you value the most? He's saying, what is it that you focus on? He's saying, what is the filter that you use to to, to filter all of your decisions through? And and the principle here is this. Principle number two is we, we need to learn to see with a forever lens rather than with just a financial lens. When Jesus talks about the good eye and the bad eye, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the perspective in which we view life. And what he's saying is if, is, if money is the primary lens in which we view the world and we make decisions, then it's like having a bad eye. He, he's saying that the bad eye is the one that only sees the financial cost of everything. And, and I've seen this over and over and over again. People who every decision that they make, the only, only thing that they think about is, is it's based primarily on finances. Let me just give you real quick a couple of examples of what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the person who chooses their job based solely on finances. Now, now I understand that we, we, we have to be able to make enough money to support our families and live. And so I'm not talking about that. 
what I'm talking about is I, I just had a conversation not long ago with somebody very close to me who he's done very, very, very well for himself. He, he lives in a beautiful home. He can pretty much buy whatever it is that he wants. He can go wherever he wants to go. But we were talking and he shared with me that he is absolutely miserable in his occupation. He said, man, what I, what I really feel called to do is I feel called to teach. In fact, he started out as a teacher. And what happened is, is early on in his career, he had the opportunity to get into the medical field. And when he saw the financial opportunity, that became the driving force. And, and now, here he is, some 30 years later, and he said, I, I, I've got everything that a person could want financially, but I'm miserable. And I hate what I do. I'm stressed, I dread going to work, and I can't talk to my wife about it. And he said, the worst part about it is I feel totally trapped. The reality is that he created a lifestyle for himself that rather than being liberating and freeing, was almost, it's almost become a prison for him because he was, he's navigated through life with a bad eye. I've seen this with people who make a decision to move across the country, and the sole reason is money. And I connect with them a couple years later, and they're like, you know, we still haven't found a good church. Our kids aren't happy. Our marriage is struggling. And I tell people this all the time. Everything costs something. And you've got to weigh more than just the financial cost. There's, there's, There's a spiritual cost. There's an emotional cost. There's a relational cost. There's a physical cost. And what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, I I want you to see all of life, not just through a financial lens, but I want you to see it through a gospel lens. Folks, this is actually what repentance is. You see, that word repentance actually means to change our way of thinking. It's, you know, I I used to view the world through this lens, but then I met Jesus, and now I view it through his lens. And now that I view it through through his lens, it it not only has changed the way that I think, but now it changes the way that I I do things. It changes the way that I I do life. It's impacted the the way that I, I do everything, my financial life, my sex life, my marriage, my family, the way I treat other people, how I spend my time. This is what Jesus is talking about, which leads us to the last thing that Jesus says. You see, the first thing he he says, he asks us, he says, where are you investing your treasure? Secondly, what lens are you viewing the world through? And then lastly, he asks this very important question, who are you serving? I want you to look at what he says. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, Or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he says this. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. Principle number three. Money is not an idol to be worshipped. But rather a tool to be leveraged. 
In, in other words, you cannot serve God and money. But you certainly can serve God with money. Money's not an idol to be worshipped. But it's a tool to be leveraged. But what Jesus warns us of here, he says, listen, if you're not careful, you've you got to guard yourself because you can actually elevate your money, your wealth, your stuff to the point that it actually becomes an idol that you worship. That, that word worship is a word that means to assign worth to. It means to assign value to. It means to, to elevate. It means to magnify. It means to pour your affection out on it. And Jesus says you have a choice. You can either pour all of that out upon me, or you can pour it out upon money. But you can't do both. Well, why, why is it that money is so powerful? The, the reality is that money is the most godlike thing on earth. It actually makes many of the same promises that God makes. Money says, if you put your trust in me, I can bring you to joy. But money says, I can fill the hole in your heart. Money says, I can bring you purpose. Money says, I can bring you comfort. Money says, I can secure your future. And Jesus recognizes this, and so he says, you're going to have to choose. You, you can't serve both God and money. Now, now, the reality is most people don't think that money is their master. In fact, Tim Keller, who pastored in Manhattan for 40 years, now, this is like the, the financial epicenter of the United States, maybe the world. And Tim Keller once said, he said, you know, it's interesting, in all my years of ministry, I never had one person come up to me and confess to struggling with greed. He said, I had people confess to struggling with addiction, to porn, to anger, to bitterness, to unforgiveness, but never once greed. And then he made this statement. He said, because greed is one of those things that we never are able to see in ourselves very well. I wonder if that's why David frequently prayed, search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me. I wonder if it'd be good for us to do that every once in a while. We're going to wrap things up. I'm going to invite the band to come. And real quick, I want to just leave you with something kind of tangible here. Just to kind of help maybe search your own heart and evaluate what your own relationship with money is and I want to really encourage you to, to take these home. You might want to write these down. They're not going to be up on the screen, but just to spend some time with them and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal any truth he wants to, to reveal and do any work in this area that he wants to do. But here's a, a couple of signs that money may be out of place 
in your life. The first one is this. Do you have an enormous amount of debt in your life? Studies show the average millennial has $52,000 worth of debt. So two millennials get married, that's $104,000 worth of debt. So don't, don't tell me there's a problem with money there. The, the second thing is this, is do you have any money margin in your life? Again, studies show that the average American lives paycheck to paycheck. In other words, most people have leveraged everything that they have, everything that they make, just to live at the highest possible standard that they can possibly live, to have the biggest house with the highest house payment, with the newest car, with the highest payment, no room to live generously, no room to give anything away. The third, third thing is this, and ask yourself this question, is money the biggest sense of worry and frustration in my life? Number four, is money the biggest area of conflict between me and my spouse? Number five, is the primary thing that you think about when you compare yourself to other people money, your level of income? I'd really encourage you to take those home and just wrestle with some of those. Ask God to reveal. Is money an issue for me? Have I made it an idol? And then I want to give this to you. How, if it is, how can that change for us? I think there's only one solution. And the only way it can change is by understanding and embracing the generosity of God. You know, God had every right, and he could have stored everything up for himself. I mean, the, the story starts out that God could have stored up his son. But he didn't do that. Instead, he sent him ahead. He, he sent him from heaven to earth to live a life that we could not live to pay a debt that we could not pay. He, he sent him ahead to accomplish for us what we could not accomplish for ourselves. And what we have to understand is that when we receive the free gift of what Jesus has done for us, he's offered this to us as a free gift, that, that when we receive that, he becomes not just our Lord and our Savior, that he needs to become in that moment our greatest treasure. He's our treasure. That's really what he is and what's supposed to happen. The person that says he's my Lord and my Savior, but he's really not my treasure, I don't think he really knows him. And when Jesus Christ is really our treasure, what happens is that begins to change everything about us. I love, and I'm going to leave you with this, one of the most famous stories in church history is about a guy that probably most of us have never even heard of before. It's a story about a guy by the name of Humphrey Monmouth. Anybody ever heard of Humphrey Monmouth? Nobody. You ever heard of William Tyndale? Tyndale Bible, some of you, yeah? 
So William Tyndale was the first person to translate the Bible into English. And, and, and Tyndale translated the Bible to English, and when he did that, it was illegal to do that. The Bible was in Latin at that time, and the reason why is that the church wanted to control the people by keeping the Bible in a language that most people couldn't read and understand. And so for Tyndale to do this, it was not only illegal, it was risky, but it was going to be incredibly expensive. And so he was going to have to quit his job. He was going to have to dedicate all of his time. I mean, it was going to take years and years and years to translate the Bible from Latin to English. And in order for Tyndale to, to do this, Humphrey Monmouth, who was a friend of Tyndale, came to Tyndale and he said, if you will take on this spiritual burden, then I will partner with you and I will take on the financial burden. And I want you to understand this, that the whole reason that you and I have access to the Word of God today, that we can pick it up and we can read it anytime we want, is because 450 years ago, a guy by the name of Humphrey Monmouth decided, you know what, I'm going to take what God has given to me, and I'm going to leverage it, and I'm going to invest it in his kingdom. He invested it in the kingdom of God instead of storing it up for himself. He sent it ahead instead of holding on to it. You see how this works? You and I are the benefactors of the investment of somebody that we will never meet this side of heaven that was made 450 years ago. Listen, I'm convinced that God is inviting you and me to make that kind of an investment. I'm, I'm convinced that these things that we're praying for and we're fasting for now, and, and I, I'm just going to warn you up front that our praying and fasting now, the next steps, is it's going to lead to sowing seeds. It's going to lead to sacrificial giving. That's what God is going to require of us. But I'm just convinced that if we're faithful, that if we're willing to invest our treasure in heaven, that there will come a day when you and I are going to meet people in heaven who are going to come maybe years after we're gone. You see, I, I think that God wants us to get to the place where we think beyond ourselves. And, and I, I, I'm thinking not about you only. I'm thinking about your children and your children's children and your children's children's children. And I just believe that there's going to come a day when, when, when someday in eternity that we're going to be able to meet some of them and hear them say, thank you, I am here today because of the investment that you made. Because you chose to store your treasure, not in a place where moth and rust destroy, but because you had an eternal perspective and you invested in the kingdom. And that made all the difference for me.
That's what we've been invited into, folks. We want to live a life that matters. And come on, there's no other life that could matter more than that. Father, we thank you this morning for all that you've blessed us with and all that you've given us and all that you've called us to. Lord, we praise you because we believe that you can do what we can't. And so we trust you today. We ask you to lead us and direct us. And Lord, in the areas where you're challenging us to make changes in the way that we view and deal with our finances, we pray that you would equip us. We pray that you would help us. We pray that you would direct us. We pray that you would give us courage. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.